Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news shortly, and of course, our former ITN journo turned punter Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Then we'll dive into the A League men's competition with the comp finding its groove. Plenty of highlights and strong crowds over the weekend. Adelaide are flying. The victory looked like they're the real thing at the top of a congested ladder. Wellington and MacArthur both unbeaten as well. While at the other end, Sydney FC are in borderline crisis mode after winning the Australia Cup. It'll be interesting to see what Teo makes of it all and uh, and, and just what kind of perilous position uh, Sydney FC are in and uh, and a few other insights into the rest of the competition from 10 Paramount Plus. Our good mate Teo will be chatting to us very soon. Then in the Premier League, up till last night, the surprise packet of the season had been Aston Villa. Yes, they'd done well last season, but uh, they were certainly not expected to be as high up the, the ladder as they, they are right now. They'll be ruining a real missed opportunity to go third after both Liverpool and Arsenal stumbled, but they still stay two points clear in fifth after losing ground at the city ground to Nottingham Forest. Has Steve Cooper cracked the Unai Emery code? We'll ask Greg Evans from the Athletic Edge. I'm enjoying the A-League. I'm going to uh, the Victory Wellington game on Friday night. Um, plenty to enjoy uh, across the other side of the world as well. What have you been watching? I've been watching everything, Rob, and I'll tell you what, that Victory Wellington game is going to be a good one. Can't wait to mm. talk to Teo about the many talking points out of the A-League men's round three. It's really come alive already. Our Melbourne Victory back. We'll ask him that question. Hello to you, Rob and Derek um, and all our listeners. But what about the breaking news off the top? The US, national, US women's national team, the plum job in women's football globally, looks like it's going to Chelsea's Emma Hayes, who's announced that she's retiring from her uh, position at Chelsea at the end of this Women's Super League uh, season, which is, opens the door for her to take on what most media outlets, uh, reputable ones in the US are saying is um, that she's reached agreement to join the US uh, Federation and lead their women's national team program and be the head coach, following in the footsteps of Jill Ellis and obviously Andonovsky, who did so poorly at the last World Cup. That's a big gig for Emma Hayes. Of course, Emma Hayes, Rob, was the coach that said no to Australia mm. uh, before they appointed Tony Gustafsson. Remember that Australia thought they'd secured Jill Ellis. She said no. They went to Emma Hayes. She said no, and we ended up with Tony Gustafsson. So Emma Hayes, hotly sought after, Rob. Yeah, absolutely, and for good reason. And Derek, was there any other news um, in the world of football, that, that any controversies that uh, that crossed your radar over the weekend, mate? No, I didn't didn't uh, pick, pick anything up in particular, Rob. Uh, the... The Arsenal women got a, a last-minute win against Man City and apparently the Arsenal coach was bullying the uh, fourth official on the sidelines. So I suppose there's a little bit of controversy there. And uh, yeah, look, it'll be interesting to see how Emma Hayes goes and what um, Edge says is the top job. Um, she's done a fantastic job at Chelsea. And look, I think the, uh, the US women are going to be uh, on something here. Yeah, well, I guess if the Arsenal uh, women's coach is uh, bull bullying the fourth official, that's probably not dissimilar to what the men's coach was doing in the press conference after the game. Well, let's so just spit it out. out. I mean, Arsenal were robbed, completely robbed. Let's listen to what Mikel Arteta had to say after the game. Yeah, we have to talk about the result because you have to talk about how the hell this goal 
um, stand up and it's incredible. I feel embarrassed, but I have to be the one now coming here to try to defend the club and please ask for help because it's an absolute disgrace that this goal is allowed. For many reasons, it's not a goal. For more than one reason, at least, it's not a goal. And it's too much at stake here. We put so much effort. It's so difficult to compete at this level. And it's an absolute disgrace. And this is nowhere near the level to describe this as the best league in the world. I am sorry. I feel sick. That's how I feel. I feel sick to be part of this. Well, there you go, Derek. He feels sick. Did you feel sick? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I, my thoughts on VAR are well known. And I know that Rob's got that as a stop his time. Uh, topic in our companion podcast so uh, watch out for those I think I think two things that are interesting for me that have come out of this firstly that that the club have come right behind Arteta like it's not it's actually quite unusual for you know the club when the manager's been this vociferous usually they're out there on their own um, you don't really hear much from the club but if you go to the arsenal.com website today you'll see there's a statement there that says that they're in lockstep uh, 100% support uh, Mikel Arteta and they know that there's going to be sanctions for Mikel Arteta and that's probably why clubs don't come and defend their man or their woman sometimes so Arsenal whatever the consequences of Mikel's um, uh, thoughts there uh, are behind the man and, and, and the team the other part of it for me is that look aside from the incident Arsenal didn't play very well um, Arsenal have not been that hot this season. I felt like getting to this point of the season undefeated was kind of masking some um, some deeper issues within the team. The goalkeeping scenario, uh, Kai Havertz, uh, the in and out uh, injury worries of uh, Jesus among, amongst others. And unlike Spurs, for example, who are flying and uh, getting all the results, Arsenal have really you know, not not had a great start. But look, at the end of the day, they're still fourth in the table. There's still a few points off the top. Plenty of time for Arteta to, to meld this team into something that will, go, that will go for a title challenge. And I think while these results are disappointing, I think they've got to look at themselves and go, did they really compete in the game? Did they really put their best foot forward? There was a, um, a particularly sanguine response from you, Derek. Um, I, I was hoping you'd be a little bit more outraged. But as you said, we're going to pick this topic up and um, maybe you can sort of push up off the picket fences in, in stoppage time. But no, but fair is fair, fair. I mean, you know, there's bad luck and bad luck, but there's just appalling decisions and, and that was a catalogue of them. Look, let's move on. We'll keep talking about it um, as we, we go through the show in, in various guises. But domestically, Melbourne City, as we know, Sacrado, Vitisic, two games into the A-League season after suffering 2-1 and 6-0 defeats the 62-year-old guided City to the Premiership last season, uh, but oversaw a 6-1 thrashing by the Central Coast Mariners in the grand final. And as we typically expect, Edge, the dead cat bounce happened. Um, is it a dead cat bounce under Aurelio Vidmar? But they did look good for 2-0 uh, against Sydney FC, who themselves, and we'll talk about this with Teo in a moment, are now 0 from 9 to start the season. Yeah, look, I think it's more than a dead cat bounce. I think there's quality in that team. Look, there's a, there's been a big turnover from last season, no question. So they've got a very big program with Asian Champions League, the only um, A-League men's team in the Asian Champions League, and that comes with added pressure. But they're missing two of their stars, aren't they? Mm. They're missing two of their stars in, in Matthew Leckie 
and Andrew Naboot. Naboot's out long term. Leckie, as we understand, is only a few weeks away, but they really need Leckie back in that team to challenge, I think, and they need him going very well to challenge um, the likes of Melbourne Victory who are emerging uh, with a deep squad. So let's just um, see what happens. I think Adelaide's up there, um, but Melbourne City are good enough to get the show back on, on the road, Rob. Yeah, well, it feels like they are, and they they look pretty good. And uh, we talked last week about Aurelio and uh, and his value and uh, and quality as a coach. So so no knock on Rado. Plenty of coaches have been sacked over the journey and come back or uh, or, or ended their tenure and uh, and not lost a lot of their their footballing pet credentials. Uh, I suggest that Rado is one of those, and uh, hopefully uh, for Aurelio, we see him around for a while yet. Now, Australia, um, as we know, talked about this last week, uh, have made the only decision possible and, and stepped aside for Saudi Arabia uh, as host of the 2034 FIFA Men's World Cup. Uh, for whatever uh, reason uh, they decided to do it, it was the most sensible one. But they've taken the direction of the Women's Asian Cup in 2026 and the 2029 FIFA Club World Cup. Do you consider these as as um, crumbs from the sideboard um, and are we pretty much being bought off to, to not uh, go hard against uh, Saudi Arabia or uh, are, are these two uh, competitions uh, the sort of standard of, of, of world competition that we should be aspiring to at our stage of development? Well, it's um, politics, Rob. Um, to host a Men's World Cup, you need the support of your confederation and the Asian Confederation told the Australians that they were falling in behind Saudi Arabia, which ended any prospect. But... Um, the Asian Cup for Women is a good event. It's you know it's um, going to continue the wave of momentum behind women's football and the Matildas. But I think the FIFA Club World Cup a lot of this is a sleeper. A lot of people uh, have really not caught up with the changes to this competition. In twenty twenty five in the US, we're going to a thirty two team competition from all of the regions around the world, and it will be like a, a World Cup for the biggest professional clubs in the world. It's going to be a very significant event, and by the time 2029 comes around, I think it will have landed a huge profile and a very significant um, sort of peak activity for all professional clubs. Um, this is FIFA's attempt at staving off the European um, Super League uh, concept. Uh, I think it's a good one. Um, and you've only got to look. I'm going to talk in stoppage time about the Libertadores final. Boca Juniors won, uh, losing to Fluminense 2 at Rio de Janeiro. Just to think about Boca Juniors and Fluminense uh, playing in Sydney at Stadium mm. Australia in hold, a hold semi final of the Club We've World We've got another Cup show later in the week to talk about it so let's just park that thought for a moment let me continue because there's a little bit more news to go to this is uh, uh, just a, a little snapshot to get us going edge now Bayern Munich shock cup exit okay so they go out of the German cup uh, in the second round for the third time in four years to third division Zabrucken um, but uh, Harry Kane leads the bounce back on the weekend uh, uh, with with another hat-trick so Derek uh, what do you make of, of all this? I mean, uh, it looks like he's got his uh, his sights set on Robert Lewandowski's uh, record at Bayern. They're, they're one off the top. Um, is this the, uh, the 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 level that um, that we can expect Harry to continue to perform at for the rest of the season? And are we just looking to bake goal-soaring records and eventually win the Bundesliga? Uh, meanwhile, his, his old club continue to, to light up the world 
on the, the other side of the pond. Well, he's had a fantastic start at Bayern. I don't think, you know, anything more can be asked of him, whether he's a, a flat-track bully or not. Well, I suspect there's, there's, there's probably an element of that, but that would do a disservice to some of the teams in Bundesliga. Bayern are not having it their own way, of course. I think uh, Bayer Leverkusen are, in fact, top of the league mm-hmm. uh, at, at present. So it looks like there will be a title uh, challenger of sorts there. But, look, obviously... They brought him in as a genuine goal scorer. That's the, you know, a rare breed in world football at the moment. Um, and he's got plenty of great players around him feed, feeding in the ball. And he's the fulcrum of that team. So, yeah, I see no reason why he can't beat Lewandowski, Lewandowski's records. He's got generally very good fitness as well. So I don't think his, his health, you know, is going to be, is going to be an issue. And the, the, the stamp will be the European Champions League. Obviously, you know, I mean, that's where Bayern, that's why they bought Harry Kane ultimately is, yeah, handy for Bundesliga, but obviously they want to reassert themselves at Europe's top table. So we'll follow Bayern's route with interest and, and, and see how they get on in that tournament. And I'll stay with you, mate. Um, Manchester United uh, have taken some of the heat off Eric Ten Hag after a, what was pretty much a snatch-and-grab job at Craven, Craven Cottage. Um, they'd lost 3-0 at home to, to Newcastle in the Carabao Cup. Uh, that was embarrassing, and, and a lot of the pressure really started to build, and there was a real sense that if they if they couldn't get something out of that match, that, um, that it was all over. But for a, a club that appeared for all intents and purposes to have had a manager that had lost the dressing room they did everything they could to to get that result in front of uh, a, you know a Fulham side that um, that that really should have led by two or three goals at that point uh, but um, but uh, United you know they were good enough to to snatch the winner late yeah it was kind of ironic that United were playing at Craven Cottage because Craven is definitely a word you could have used for for some of them over recent performances. Look, this is what United do at the moment. Like it's not it's not complete free fall. Like on their day, they can beat mediocre Premier League teams away. Like that's just the reality of the quality of the players that they have. And while Bruno Fernandez is uh captaincy's been called into question, like his quality on the pitch as a goal scorer and attacking threat certainly isn't. Um so yeah, I, I don't. I, yeah, you're right. It, it takes a little bit of the heat off uh, Ten Hag, but look, I think there's, a, there's still a long way to go. And when you hear the dung, the jungle drums around the the bid uh, for, for, for the uh, partial ownership and the the new owners wanting to take uh, part in football uh, matters in particular, I think that's the strongest signal you can get that they will look at every aspect of the club and including the coach. I think it's a shame because. I, you know, I don't want managers like this to sort of come into these top jobs and be knocked down. He came in with a lot of pedigree, a lot of momentum. What he did with Ajax was brilliant, particularly in Europe. We look at where Ajax are now. So I don't, I don't subscribe to sort of beating these uh, managers with pinata, you know, like a pinata. I think there's all sorts of systemic problems within the club, but ultimately in football. You can never blame the players because they're the asset. The manager's the most disposable. So, mm. you know, I, I, as, an, as an Arsenal fan, quite happy to see Manchester United sort of um, in this position. But but at the same time, um, you know, I don't wish Ten Hag any, any ill will. I'm sure he'll be very relieved by the result. 
Yes, no doubt. Okay, soccer is a Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. The AFC Asian Cup kicks off in mid-January. Register your interest to be on the early bird booking list to ensure you get an opportunity to book at the best price in advance of the retail launch. ggarmy.com is .com.au is where you go, Edge. It certainly is where you go. Register your interest. Get the opportunity to get an early bird discount when we launch our Asian Cup stuff. It's almost uh, ready to go. And seven matches, including three of the Australian group games, including some other big epic games and all the uh, fun of going to see a Middle Eastern tournament. And uh, the Arab flavour of that is going to be significant. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we know Qatar pretty well and we know all the good places. Some mm-hmm. great food in Doha, Rob. Oh, yeah, I love Middle Eastern great food. great Lebanese food. Lebanese Lebanese. food's probably the pick of the cuisines as far as Middle Eastern food goes. Every country has a little bit of a a different flavour to it. If the Lebanese if they can get anywhere close to what my mum used to dish up and my grandmother. She used to eat tumim bucket loads. Oh, mate, I still do. Love it. Okay. Matilda's 3-0 win over Chinese Taipei to draw Uzbekistan in the next round of qualifying. Mary Fowler, Sam Kurtamika, yellow ball found the back of the net in that qualifying match. They now, as I said, face Uzbekistan in the qualifying stage. We talked about that uh, a little last week, but it is exciting news and probably the best possible result. Soccer is overseas. Sam Silvera started in the EFL Cup round of 16 and scored a, as Middlesbrough went through to the quarterfinals with a 3-2 win over League One Exeter City. Fellow Australian Tom Glover was in goals for Middlesbrough. Cam Burgess started for Ipswich Town in the Cup as they fell 3-1 to Fulham. Lewis Miller played a full game for Hibs on the back of being named in the SPFL Team of the Week for the third time this season. Good news him and for Australia, while James Jago also started and played 68 minutes as they drew two all to Ross County. Mitch Jerky just keeps on scoring his ninth goal for Japanese J2 League recently promoted champions as they're about to go up to the top flight. Jordan Boss found himself back in Westerlo starting 11 for a third straight game. Okay, we'll wrap it up there. We uh, we have gone a little bit over time because we've got Teo Pelaziri waiting online. The A-League men's season has started off with, with a real bang. Just a couple of rounds in, some excellent games. The ladder's starting to take a little bit of shape. Uh, there's potential coach killers this weekend. There's unexpected teams at the top in the middle of the comp. We're going to find out what Teo thinks of it all next on box to box Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, a couple of weeks into the A-League men's competition, it's starting to take some shape, some unexpected results at both ends of the ladder, um, one of which is, of course, uh, Sydney FC running Australia Cup champions to talk to us all about our good friend, from 10 and Paramount, Teo Pelaziri. How are you, Teo? I'm great. Obviously, a few weeks into the season, there are a few teams that aren't so great, and I guess that is a real flashpoint already this early in the A-League men's competition. Well, I guess we'll start from the bottom, Teo. I mean, Central Coast are sitting alongside Sydney FC, but Sydney have got the bottom spot courtesy of uh, a pretty ordinary goal difference. Uh, They looked on fire to get going. They won the Australia Cup. Uh, Steve... uh, Corica had uh, appeared to, to finally be getting a tune out of them, but they start the season 3-0 and and now he's under all sorts of pressure. Is it too soon to say how long's he got? Uh, no, I don't think it is because a little bit like Rado Vidicic at Melbourne City, I think there's accumulated fatigue from the season before and you've got maybe a ready-made replacement in David Zrilic, the former Socceroo who has built a pretty good reputation for himself in Europe sitting as his deputy next to him on the sideline. It, I, I will freely admit I got hooked in by Sydney FC's cup run. 
but I also uh, was perhaps coming from it from a, a slightly uh, biased point of view in that I'd been covering their NPL team through a lot of the winter and had seen some of the youngsters that they were going to give more game time to, and I didn't think that they were going to perhaps fall into line with uh, the hierarchy the way that they have, and maybe some of the older players would prevail, and some of the academy talents would go back to either the bench or not in the squad at all. So I thought Sydney were going to do this refresh on the run, and we were going to see new fresh faces, but maybe winning the cup in pre-season actually created an artificial level of expectation of what they were capable of this season. And as is often the case, they've got the worst possible outcome this weekend going to to Cooper Stadium to face uh, a white-hot Adelaide United. Um, two questions. Can they do anything to turn it around at short notice? And if they don't and Adelaide have another day out, is this the last weekend we see him be coach? Oh, you know, it's uh, Sydney FC. I don't know if they are the sort of club that are going to want to make the decision themselves, perhaps if they can mm. find a way to make it a mutual decision. I mean, you, you, Melbourne City said that the Rado Vidicic decision was mutual. Um, it, it seems to be circulating behind the scenes that uh, there was a decision made and, and Rado uh, was really more, we're going to shake hands with you and let's work out the amount, as opposed to both of them wanting to agree that Rado should no longer coach. But Look, it's, it's really tough for a club like Sydney FC because they've been used to being the flagship team of this, this league for so long. And when they are down, they're not down for long. And you're right, it, it is the most difficult possible fixture with one expectation, which is that Nestor Iran Kunda will be suspended. So it's one less sort of weapon from the Adelaide United team that they have to worry about closing down. I, I think Sydney would be selling themselves short if they went to Adelaide to try and play for a nil-all draw. I hope that they actually just turnover enough of the squad, uh, even if it means making three or four changes. I mean, we saw the Mariners, we saw Perth weren't afraid to make changes to 25, 30% of their team, even in round three at the weekend just gone, because they weren't satisfied with what they'd seen in the first couple of weeks of the season. Sydney FC might have to be the same. Well, so many talking points to you out of this round. It's it's really got my... Uh... Uh, lips wet. It's it, it's so it's so good at the moment. But let's let's uh, have a segue to what you mentioned. Nestor Irankunda, red card for dissent in the dying minutes of what was a very very good game at Amy Park. Um, WTF? That's what the flying fruit bats was. That referee thinking surely he was he was mauled. He was definitely fouled at least twice, maybe three times. Is that the stiffest red card of the weekend? Look, it is because I think that. You know, the way it's blown up in the aftermath, um, regardless of the litigation of what Alex King said and then how Carl Viet decided to defend his player and maybe rally his fan base and speak to the media about the message that was portrayed. Um, ultimately, I don't think it was a yellow card offence that Iran Kunda committed and perhaps shouldn't have been sent off to begin with. But these it's a high-pressure environment. It was a 15,000 crowd we want these pressure cooker environments to come back and for there to be a distinct home ground advantage for teams that can maybe sway a referee. That's part of the crowds coming back and, you know, the league getting back to its heyday. And unfortunately for Alex King, you know, I don't know if there's been an official review and official results of whether his decision was right or wrong, but I think a lot of people are saying it was the wrong call to send Iran Kunda off. They certainly are, but let's just segue to Melbourne victory. Are they back, Tao? Um, is the big daddy club of the A-League competition, can they put their hand up and say, 
we're back. Is the first three rounds, is that sample size big enough to say, look out to competition, victory's on the march? I, you know what, I think it is now. After two weeks, I wasn't totally convinced. And I kind of saw last season coming for victory because Tony Popovich, I think he did take a bit too much of a safety first approach and didn't have the individual creativity within that Melbourne victory team last campaign to you know allow the team to breathe in an attacking sense. But you look at the change of personnel, you know, Arzani, Teague, Mashash, um, and then Monge. I mean, coming out of the NPL, I wouldn't have told you that he was a standout for... Arthur Leichhardt here in Not New South Wales, but yeah. he was ready to become a professional full-time player um, and, and has stepped into that role. And then, you know, the organic growth of Lupale and Bruno Fornaroli turning back the clock. Yeah, victory can strike now while the iron is hot. And they'll be disappointed they didn't get all three points out of the game on Saturday, given that they were at home. But yeah, I do think victory are back. And I don't think it's going too early three rounds into the season to say that Tony Popovich is turning it around and credit to the victory administration for being patient with him through a, a really difficult season last campaign. Rob wants me to leave Wellington Phoenix for him for the last question. So I'll <laughs> let him ask the question about the Polish gunner, uh, Oscar Zawanda. But what about Central Coast Mark Jackson? I just sense it's it's not the oi, oi, oi Mark Jackson. It's the Mark Jackson out of England. I just sense the cracks are showing. He was a bit grumpy uh, post-match. They've lost three on the trot. He can't find a goal. He was fingering players. I've got, I've got a bad feeling about Central Coast. Okay? I think they're, I think they're in for a horror year. I mean, horror is what finishing with the wooden spoon after winning yeah. the championship. Yeah, I think year. it's a very forgiving league if your only goal is to make the six and to save face. And I, look, it might take a little while for the Mariners, but I think there are enough positives there. Some people are trying to portray it like Brian Kaltak is, is having a year like Leo Lacroix did for Western United, where he's gone from best defender in the league to um, invasion of the body snatches overnight. I, I, I don't think it's quite that dramatic. You know, I've got a lot of time for Nathan Paul, again, a player who I was watching play in the NPL over the winter and is stepping into the A-League men's as a necessary starter at centre-back for the first time. You know, I, I, that first half, the Mariners, yeah, they lacked a cutting edge in the front third. And maybe if they had their time again, they wouldn't have been so hasty to bench Alu Kual and, and might have left Dylan Winslow Halls as an impact sub. And that could have made such a difference with some of the half chances they were creating. But I think with Josh Nisbet running that midfield, they, they won't have a total disaster season as in out of top six contention with, say, four to six games to go. And I still see, you know, the revival of someone like Christian Theoharis continuing after Nick Montgomery has left the club. And I say, yeah, it's not the team that won the championship, but there are still pieces to work with. They'll be absolutely um, uh, dirty with Angel Torres for getting himself sent off, though, because he is a work in progress. He's got a lot of decent movement, but no real cutting edge or end product. And now he's gone and got himself at least a three-game suspension for violent conduct the way he got himself sent off. So, you know, one step forward, two steps back for the Mariners, but I don't think that means right off the season just yet. Well, um, their, their opponents on the weekend, Perth Glory, um, they were impressive. You commentated the game. Um, I, I thought they played very, very well. And one of my favourite players in the A-League men's competition looked like he's really moving beautifully. And when he's moving beautifully, he scores goals. And that's Adam Taggart. I thought he was very good, Taggart. Perth know who they are. And even after the Mariners went down to 10 men, they were maintaining above 65% possession. And it was actually 75-25 just before the red card. So Perth can move on the counter. Salim Khalifi played his first game in seven months. 
Uh, and that he didn't play any of the Australia Cup. He'd only been limited to friendlies and training. And we know what he can do. I thought Alex Shuznia was brilliant. Mark Beavers, um, you know, there were, there were reports that he wasn't happy at Perth under Ruben Zadkovic. Obviously, he stayed in Perth and seems to be totally re-engaged now under Alan Stajic. Uh, and Oli Bazanic is the field general that we know worked so well with Stajic at the Central Coast Mariners. So they have pieces to work with. They still seem quite reliant on youngsters. And now they've got themselves a bit of a goalkeeper drama with Cameron Cook playing so well after Ollie Sale was benched after just two games. And I mean, there's already talk that the Auckland franchise have put Ollie Sale top of their wish list. Uh, and we're only three games into 26 of a new season. Um, so things move quickly if you're not the number one keeper, safe to say. Uh, but look, Perth know who they are. And I think that there will be some ugly nights where playing on the counter-attack results in the other team using their weight of possession and territory to score first and leave Perth Glory in a position where they're up backs to the wall. But the way they executed against the Central Coast Mariners will hopefully be a blueprint for what they can do against other teams this season. Now, um, no, no big surprise, because uh, Edge uh, flagged the interest that I've got in asking you about Wellington. Uh, and as much as I'm interested in, in Oscar Zawada and his hat-trick on the weekend and uh, uh, the way that uh, that he's, um, he's setting uh, the Phoenix on fire, I'm more interested in the... The, the bloke who's running the show there, and um, and that's of course their 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 coach Giancarlo Italiano. So so he's, he's not quite the Ange Postecoglou of uh, of the A League, but he's come in with with no professional football pedigree in his first professional gig um, after you know a successful cu- couple of periods under Ufuk Talley and Mark Rudan at, at Wellington and and all of the years of COVID and so on. Uh, I'm going to see them on Friday night against the victory. Really looking forward to this game. Uh, what should I be looking out for as someone who hasn't watched them up close uh, and personal this season so far, but has been watching their results? Oh, I think they are a team that has the cutting edge. You know, Zavada, Cryov when he's on. I mean, I look at that that midfield. I, I don't think Pennington and Altai and, and Rufa should work. They they shouldn't be able to control games and dictate the tempo. But if they can just get enough supply to the forwards, they will score goals. And Italiano has been very realistic about bringing through younger players using the Phoenix Academy. I actually, in the off-season, did a bit of a deep dive into how New Zealand overhauled their national league after COVID. Um, and also sort of the divide in New Zealand football, where you've got the Phoenix Academy producing players but you also have the Ole Academy and Declan Edge and how that has been a production line for players to bypass the A-League and go straight to Europe. And I found it fascinating with you know the machinations of how New Zealand football works as I was trying to do a bit of background and research on, on whether or not Auckland could be successful or not straight away when coming in. The Phoenix have got a clear identity in terms of giving youngsters opportunity and it's working for now. They have probably the best number nine in the league and yeah, I, I would say expect the forwards to score when the chances come. I don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, a great season for the Phoenix, but if they can put points in the bank early, we know that's the easiest way to make the top six. Get out in front of the rest of the league and use a buffer to manage your way into the finals. And before we let you go, uh, Tao, is there anything else that you've seen um, in the start of the season that sort of surprised you, uh, good or bad? Um, I'm still trying to get a read on the Wanderers. Uh, to to put five past Western United in a half and then not look fantastic in the other five halves that they've played so far, I'm I'm confused as to what to expect, especially given that you know 
they had to come from behind to to grab a point against Newcastle at the weekend. Uh, Marco Rodan has had a couple of seasons now. He's been able to target his recruits. He's he's got a mix of youth and experience. Yeah, the Wanderers. I, I actually I'm glad you didn't ask me about them because they are the team I am struggling for a read on the most out of anyone in the league so far this season. And I imagine that frustration would be reflected in how they're feeling about the fact that they're a win and two draws to start the campaign so far as well. Mm, exactly. Well, I, I guess what we are liking is the fact that, that average crowds are up. Um, we're liking what we're seeing on, on the 10 Paramount coverage. Uh, it, it feels like more and more people are starting to find the, the weekly free-to-air coverage and that the, the Paramount uh, service is improving exponentially. So uh, a lot of I watched uh, some of the racing on Saturday and it was fitting a wall-to-wall A-League men's and women's on the weekend. So uh, for people who, who may not be uh, used to, to seeing a lot of coverage, it's a great opportunity for, for 10 to, to cross-promote uh, uh, both competitions. So off the back of the, the heights of the, the Women's World Cup uh, and the, the Socceroos efforts in Qatar, it, it feels like we're starting to see a bit of a shift. Is that a sense that you get from, from inside the, the inner sanctum? I mean, let's not forget, the entire first season, pockets had to be dipped into to get the league through all the fixture changes, COVID interruptions, just to broadcast the games that the APL would never have anticipated when they achieved independence. And uh, the catch-up from that has taken its time. They did not get to determine the expansions of Western United and MacArthur. They inherited two problem children, um, which have varying degrees of of drain uh, on and off the the field. I mean, they played each other in the existential crisis cup at the weekend. (laughs) And, you know, I really respect and like a lot of what Western United is doing off the pitch. It just kills me that they don't have a bigger fan base to enjoy the progress. Mm. Um, And then I, I think that this round of expansion with Auckland looking pretty stable and then a bit of buzz that Canberra's, you know, there are potential buyers... Yeah, the APL gets to be assessed on what they do in charge and how well they handle that process. And instead of bringing in teams at the bottom, we now expect that they will be bringing in teams either in the middle or at the top to raise the tide for all the boats on the next round of expansion. Not saying it's the silver bullet, Mm. but at least it's something they can plant their flag in the ground on and say, we did this, we didn't inherit it. This is our decision, this is our move. And I think it is, you know, finally the clean slate that many of the club owners and also the league administration were agitating for from years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's starting to feel like that, isn't it? That uh, as much as uh, plenty of us have uh, taken the long handle to uh, administration and clubs uh, over the years for their mistakes, it's also on us to uh, to give credit where it's due and to recognise when the pendulum starts to, to swing in, in the other direction. And uh, and hopefully that's that's what we're seeing, Matt. Hey, Taylor, we'll let you go. Thanks again for, for coming on the show. Keep up the, the excellent work with Ten and Paramount and everything else you do and the Keep Up podcasts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, mate, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again. In, um, maybe in a, in a few weeks' time. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Excellent. Teo Pelaziri. If you haven't got Paramount Plus, make sure you invest in it. It doesn't cost much. I know everyone's got a heap of streaming services, but this is one that is really affordable. And if you're listening to this, that means you're a football fan. So uh, to quote the great Molly Meldrum, do yourself a favour and get it. Okay, after the break, we're going to switch to the other side of the world. Uh, we always like to talk uh, about the top flight leagues and, uh, and our clear favourite on this show is the Premier League. Greg Evans is going to talk about Aston Villa. Yep, a little bit of a bump over the weekend, but they're still fifth. Uh, I want to find out what's happening with Unite Emery at Villa Park. That's next on Box to Box. Chemist Warehouse. 
Hey Derek, it's just you and me. Oh, I like the sound effects. I thought when Willem left that we were going to leave him, but see, that's, that's quality. You've, you've, he must have left you uh, like a, a handover notes on Chemist Warehouse sound effects because you sound just like him. And we know it's the place to shop for all your sports nutrition, don't we? And certainly, that's the, the place to go for all of that kind of stuff, Rob. I've come back from holiday, I'm going to get on a new regime, and I, I need a few of these products, so I'll be straight down there. Catching. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'll recommend the INC Intra Workout Plus, 300 grams for $24.99. Just maximize uh, all the, the weight training that you're doing. Bondi Protein, Co-Vegan or Slimit Blend. I need a bit of that. One kilogram range, two for $70. That's a good deal. Uh, now you live out at the Healsville Sanctuary, so you could take advantage of the, uh, the click and collect uh, to save time or the fast same-day home delivery, mate. That is ideal because, yes, my, my nearest one is in... Lilydale, so a 20, 25 minute drive away. So no, that, that sounds like just the ticket rule. I'll get on to that. No, you don't want to be driving 25 minutes, especially when you've got a couple of little ones, because people in houses mean lots of visits to pharmacies and chemist warehouses, that pharmacy that you do want to go to. But remember, Derek, T's and C's and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are every single day. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, uh, I did say off the top of the show, uh, the surprise packet of the season, well, at least up until last night, our time as we record, uh, has been Unai Emery's Aston Villa. Um, they they have really started to find their, their, their uh, mojo under you know Emery this season, and yeah, every team is going to be expected to lose. Hey, we've seen Manchester City uh, already uh, drop points this season, so if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for Aston Villa. But they still sit fifth on the ladder, and 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 really exciting times down at Villa Park. And a man who watches it all very closely from the Athletic is our next guest, Greg Evans. Uh, how are you, Greg? Yeah, I'm well. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good to chat about Villa because they are yeah one of the feel good stories in England at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think I might have mentioned last time uh, um, that uh, that we had you on. Of uh, I have a, an eighteen year old son who has cerebral palsy, and one of his carers is uh, is a Brummie boy. He was born in Wolverhampton, but he follows Villa, and uh, and every time a good result uh, happens, uh, he's you can always tell he's got a, a click in his his step. So I, I said, mate, prep me up for this chat with Greg, and he's and uh, make make sure I, I really sound like I, I know what I'm talking about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm going to concede that the first question I'm asking is from a genuine Brummy boy. He's been in Australia for only a handful of years and, and loves his villa as much as anyone who, who watches them uh, uh, every single week. So so I guess the question was that, you know, last night Forest seemed to crack the Unai Emery code. They were, they were causing plenty of, of trouble, uh, putting pressure on the high line. Um, is there a risk that that more teams will sort of figure them out as the season goes on, or is just the inevitable uh, uh, cut and thrust of, of top flight football that uh, you're going to have the better off you've gotten by uh, by a canny uh, manager of an opposition side like Steve Cooper? Yeah, I think I think first and foremost, it's a, it's a compliment to, to Aston Villa because it shows that they are now becoming one of these sort of feared forces in the Premier League. Um, we've seen it previously with Newcastle last year and Brighton a little bit. Um, you know, teams have to try and really work them out and 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 actually go with a specific game plan to get the better of them. Um, and, and it felt like that was the case yesterday with Forrest, who admittedly, you know, haven't started the season very well in terms of points return, but the games that I've watched them play, they've been quite impressive. Um, and I think that 
they they remind me a little bit of, of Aston Villa a couple of years ago, where you know, on this journey where they're trying to establish themselves in the Premier League, um, having to sign quite a lot of players because they've moved up from the Championship and need to rebuild a squad. Um, but you know, you look at you look at that Nottingham Forest team, and and there are a lot of real star players in there. And yesterday, a couple of those came came to the came to the front and and um, and put a lot of pressure on Villa. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the high line. Uh, I think when Villa lose games, that seems to be the you know the the area of weakness that that people identify. They say, well, that high line was was easily exposed. Yet yeah, Villa are winning games more often than not. And they're still playing with that high line as well. So it's a bit of a risk-reward situation. But yeah, I think what Villa are going to find now is more teams will sit back a little bit, um, try and soak up some of the pressure um, and put a little bit more pressure on them. You know, the other the other uh, area that Forrest really succeeded yesterday was their sort of high pressing. They didn't give Villa any time to play out from the back. Um, and that just made it a little bit difficult for them. And uh, who, who would have thought that uh, you know a club favourite like Tyrone Mings? He's uh, he picked up an injury early in the season, and uh, and now Pau Torres, who admittedly Emery brought in after he'd worked with him in the past, uh, he's looking comfortable in that spot. I mean, w- what happens when Mings comes back? Is is there a spot for him in the starting eleven, or is he is he one of those players that that might end up getting shuffled out at the end of the season? Yeah, it's hard to know at this point because, you know, he's, he's going to be out still for a considerable amount of time and such a blow for Tyrone Mings at the start of this season because he's been a big part of Villa's journey from from the Championship, you know, coming in on loan in 2019, helping the club get promoted into the Premier League and then playing a part in, in establishing, you know, Villa as a Premier League side. And he was in really good form. He'd been recalled to the England international team. Um, and was really looking forward to this season. You know, I spoke to him after the last game of last season and he said, look, our biggest challenge now is trying to mix a Premier League season with European football. And, you know, it was something he was really looking forward to. So, such a shame that he got injured. Um, and I suppose that, you know, the, the concern for, for players that are not in this team at the moment, um, you know, Emi Buendia is another one. He was he was sidelined just before the season started with, with a very you know, serious injury. Um, I think the concern is, are if Villa do finish in the top five or six this season, do they then go on another level in the next summer window and bring in even even higher quality players? And does that push some of the longer serving players even further back? So it will be a worry for Tyrone Mings. I mean, I think he's good enough to to retain his place in this team when he when he comes back. But yeah, you know. It's, it's not easy when you're out for sort of seven, eight months wondering um, what's up, what's going to happen next. Certainly one of the the, the uh, most high quality players in the team is the, the goalkeeper, freshly minted world goalkeeper of the year from the, from the Ballon d'Or Awards, but didn't necessarily look like that against Forrest. Uh, how did you read how he dealt with the second goal? Was this just like a very unfortunate deviation where you can see it sort of like he looked like he lost the flight of it before he re- you know before he could react to the ball had gone in the goal or there's something more worrying there for uh, Martinez no no I don't I don't think it's uh, an underlying problem I think it was just a, a mistake on the day um perhaps maybe got a little bit too cocky a little bit arrogant with with the save I have to watch it back a, a couple more times to see if there was if the flight of the ball changed but it almost seemed like he tried to save it with one hand, didn't it? And that, that was whether it was a, a quick um a quick reaction to, to to perhaps the ball the ball moving. But 
look, it, it was a mistake. We don't very see we don't see them very often from Emmy Martinez. He's been a brilliant, brilliant goalkeeper for Villa and saved them a lot of points over the last couple of seasons. Um, and I know for a fact he will be in training this morning, going over that and really agonising over the details because he's somebody who absolutely hates it when he when he makes errors um, and he'll go over and over and over the the um, the mistake and, and try and rectify it for, for the next game. You were talking about um, Mings before and just adding quality to that to the squad. I suppose one of the problems with Villa is that you know that the hyper competitive nature of the league now in terms of the money that's there and the fact that Villa are not coming late to the party, but you've already had you know. Manchester City, Chelsea under uh, under Abramovich, Newcastle have obviously come and joined in. You've got the established powerhouses like Manchester United and Liverpool are spending money. Um, it's just really difficult. You've almost got to spend to stand still in the Premier League, don't you? Like maybe it's not a case of spend to get better. It's a place of spend just to try and keep up with the Joneses. Yeah, it's a really difficult task. And, and look, Villa have got two extremely wealthy owners, two billionaire owners who want to invest in the football club and have, and have said this since they took over in 2018, you know, when Villa were a championship team. And I think what people have to remember with Villa is they are playing catch up a little bit with with um, just some of the Premier League teams, not even the big boys, because they've been out of the Premier League for three seasons between 2016 and 2019. Um it's taken them a little bit of time to get the squad capable of, you know, first of all establishing, well, first of all staying up in the Premier League, then establishing, um, and then kicking on. So the owners have invested a little bit more each year, but they're never going to be able to sort of compete with uh, with the real big boys of, you know, Manchester Cities. And I mean, Arsenal have spent a hell of a lot of money as well, haven't they? And um, I, I read a stat over the over the weekend, I think. I think Emery had spent just under a hundred million. Yeah, Arteta had spent under seven hundred million. I need need to double check that in case that was wrong. But um, you know the the, the contrasting uh, spends there between the two clubs just show that there is still a big a big gulf between them. And and for Villa, the key is to continue improving each year. You know they got into Europe last year quite fortunately, really after a, a brilliant end of season run. Um, and if they can perhaps get into the Europa League next year, having qualified for the Europa Conference League this year, or maybe even the Champions League, you know, there might be five spaces available for the Premier League teams this year. Then that just helps uh, bring in additional revenue. Villa can then create better partnership deals. And eventually, you know, they, you'll see them starting to come a little bit closer to those bigger boys um, and they can increase their spending then. Um, but yeah, look, when, when Villa are in this position, they have to really get everything right. They have to get their big money signings right. Um, and so far this season, it looks like they've done that. Yeah, you mentioned Europe, of course. They're in the, the Conference League this season. They made a pretty good start. I think they're two wins and a, and a loss so far. Um, is squad depth really going to be an issue? It can point at a lot of squads around the league, and particularly when you're in Europe and doing Europa as well. So your Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, it's not an ideal, um, not an ideal fixture pattern either. But... You know, he's going to struggle, Emery, isn't he? Keep shuffling his pack to, to deal with all the various competitions that Villa are, are in. And did you see, you know, either Europe being the full guy there or or do you think there's enough of a squad for him to, to juggle the players? 
Yeah, it's, um, I change from week to week. I think when Villa are winning, I look at it and I think they're handling it really well. Yet when they lose a game, I, I, I start to question whether the squad's deep enough and, and whether they've got the um, you know the variety to keep them going throughout throughout all the competitions this season. But it's quite strange, really, because for the first time in a couple of weeks, Villa had a full week to prepare for this Nottingham Forest game um, and actually ended up losing. So perhaps the the Sunday Thursday routine was working quite well for them, and uh, they'll be looking forward to getting that back this week and um, and maybe getting a little bit back into sync, you know. Sometimes players, they um, when they're asked to to play, rest, train, play, that works better than train, 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 play, train, 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 play. You know, it's just um, they have to sort of find a rhythm and, and and stay in sync. So I do think Villa have got quite a strong squad now. There are a few areas that maybe need addressing. Um, and look, Emery is a master of this of of. Um, of rotating players to to help have success in the in the league and in Europe, you know we've seen that with his previous teams at Villarreal um, and Sevilla when they went on and won so much. So yeah, it'd be interesting. I just look back to Fulham when you know two thousand and oh, can't remember the year that they won the um, Europa. Uh, they got to the final, sorry, of the Europa League, um, and it was under Roy Hodgson. So they were actually resting players in the Europa League very early. In the in the tournament, but then as it got towards the end of the tournament, they were resting players in the Premier League, and I just wonder whether you know Villa will ever get to that situation. I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Well, I guess if they keep playing like this, Greg, uh, and um, and they do make a run at the Champions League, then they're going to have to be doing that, and uh, and 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 players uh, the likes of Mings, who we, we talked at the top, are, are going to be needed to to. to remain to uh, to fill out the depth regardless of whether they're a first team player or not uh, I guess I'll just uh, wrap up by asking one more from my friend Cameron uh, that uh, is probably a question on the the tip of the tongue of every Aston Villa supporter uh, uh, is Champions League football a realistic ambition this season I mean we're seeing uh, all of the clubs at the top end of the ladder uh not having it all their own way. Uh, Manchester City are, are certainly not the... Uh, they, they may be um, as powerful as they were before, but other teams, whether it's Spurs or Villa, Villa, I should say, or Arsenal or, or Liverpool even, uh, that are that are uh, nipping at their heels. So so when there's that level of competition within the, the power clubs, it does provide opportunities for other clubs who are having a good run uh, to... to to nick a spot with a with a, a continued good run, are, are, are you thinking that that's a realistic uh, opportunity for Villa to 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 uh, make the Champions League? I think there's there's three clear teams that are better than Villa at the moment. I think Manchester City, Liverpool, and Arsenal are clearly better than Villa. I think Newcastle um, Newcastle are are very close, um, you know, if not better, and Tottenham as well. So. Villa are knocking about with sort of five or six teams um, and have proven over the first 10, 11 games that they're good enough to maintain it. They're only two points off Liverpool and Arsenal. Um, and typically, after 25% of the season, you don't really see the, the the Premier League changing too much. There'll be one or two teams that will that will shoot up or drop down drastically. But typically, if you look back over the years, the, the table pretty much stays the same. So mm. I think Villa are in a really good position. You know, if... If, if the five Champions League places do become available, I think Villa have got a really good chance to sneak in there. Um, I, I don't see anything crazy like chasing for a title or finishing second or third. I do think that, you know, that, that Villa aren't quite at that stage yet. But um, the Champions League is, is a... 
it's hard to call it a realistic option, but I just think there's a chance if um, you know that, that, that they've shown so far so far this season that they're capable of mixing it with the best teams in the division. Um, so let's see if that can can continue. So you're saying they're a chance, Greg? <laughs> That's what they you want can to pick it, You can pick out of that whatever you make of it. Yeah, yeah. we all need hope, mate. And uh, and hey, it's better to hope at the top end of the, the ladder than uh, eke out uh, um, an existence at the bottom end, mate. So, um, Greg, we'll let you go now, mate. Thanks again. You're always generous with your time. And, um, and Pleasure. Uh, there are a great in this country, and I know we've got listeners around the world, but uh, but in Australia, there are whilst the uh, you know the um, the, the, the likes of Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool have got uh, huge supporter bases that uh, clubs like Villa have massive support in this country as well. So uh, they uh, they always want to get a perspective from somebody as close to it as you are. No, no problem. And just very quick one for me, is, is Ange Fever taking over over there? Oh, see, I'm no. really glad. I'm glad. You, yeah. <laughs> now, that was an Arsenal uh, man. Ange who? Yeah, there. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely. See, I, I, I'm glad you did because, because I almost did well enough in, in the podcast this week to hardly even mention it. Not so mention. I, so I didn't need to mention it, and you've just uh, led with a with a, with the kind of uh, comment that um, that I was uh, I was you know eager to do myself. But well done, mate. We're, as our time it kicks off at seven a.m. tomorrow morning, so and it's a uh, it's a it's a public holiday in Melbourne at the very least. Melbourne Cup Day, you'd be familiar with the national race that stops the nation. Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah. there'll be plenty of Aussies getting up early with the day off to to sit in front of their telly and watch that, mate. I don't think Derek will be one of them, though. <laughs> Good stuff. Nice one. Thanks, Greg. All right, then, guys. Thanks again. Greg Evans from The Athletic. If you haven't got The Athletic already, subscribe. Do yourself a favour. Okay, Walk Up Corner next on box to box Willa, willa, willa. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt's Spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt's Spices. Yeah. Now, Derek, um, our friends at Hoyt's, uh, who I'm going to the football with on Friday night to see the Victory Wellington match, um, always talking about changing the mood of your food with herbs, spices, a little flavour on the side with some pickled vegetables, some olives. Uh, but I often talk about lots of different spices to make a meal, but sometimes you don't need a whole lot of spices or a bunch of different types of spices to, to really add the flavour, do you? No, you don't know. I mean, like garam masala packs quite a few of those in you can get the four Chinese four spice as well I think would be another example of those so yeah you don't need to five spice spice even yeah I've I've, I've missed a a spice out there but uh, yeah you don't you don't need to be like some mad chemist you know madly adding all the different things you can just get one in and if you're busy you know that, that that sounds ideal to me yeah well I tell you what I love um and it's simple uh chili con carne but it's got to be made well you know, beef mince and, and kidney beans are, are the base for a good mm. chili con carne. And, uh, and you need to make some nice steamed fluffy rice, but you want it to be nice and saucy and flavoursome. So, I mean, you know, you'll find this recipe on online. You just have to Google it. But you just need an onion, a red pepper, some garlic cloves, dice them all up and stir fry them off in some oil. And then what you want to do is get your spices in there to create the uh, the, the spice mix and, and, and cook it out with that onion and pepper and garlic. So you get the, the teaspoon teaspoon of hot chili powder, more if you like it spicy, a teaspoon of paprika, a teaspoon of ground cumin and then stir it off and, and then bring your beef into what, about 500 grams of beef mince into that onion, pepper, cloves and all those spices and just brown off that, uh, that onion and then you need a cup of beef stock 
and a 400 gram can of chopped tomatoes and then just bring it to the boil, a teaspoon of sugar, and then just let it settle down. And just towards the end, of uh, two tablespoons of tomato puree, not quite towards the end, and then that, those kidney beans, let it simmer, uh, get some sour cream on the side. Uh, for when it's ready and then once it's simmered and, and just thickened up a little bit then you want to scoop it onto that fluffy white rice and a big dollop of sour cream on top um how, how would you go with that derek would you would you enjoy that if i if i cooked it up for you one day yeah absolutely we, we have a lot of chili con carne or variants in the house it's one of my daughter's favorite uh, meals and the one way we can guarantee that chili some vegetables at the moment so uh that sounds a little bit uh, more complicated than but more delicious than the one we normally have. So to save me and Sarah from going bored out of our brains with the same old con carne recipe, I will uh, will hoitify it and uh, and robify it, and I'm sure it'll be good. Make sure you do, mate. You'll absolutely love it. But when you cook it for the beautiful Maeve, just make sure you don't put that hot chilli in because you will pay for it if you do. Okay, remember, to refill your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs, you'll be happy with Hoyt's, as you know, at Coles, Woolworths and all good independent supermarkets. Fill those empties with Hoyt's and spices, yeah. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yeah, great uh, show so far. I really enjoyed chatting to Tao earlier on uh, and Greg Evans just now. Uh, just fantastic going down the rabbit hole with uh, the uh, the women and men on the beat at some of these clubs around the world. But Edge, it's World Cup corner. Um, next week, we're going to be previewing a genuine World Cup qualifier for the Socceroos. But you had a couple of hot points that you wanted to kick us off with this week. Well, I just wanted to uh, make a massive shout out to Matilda's superstar, Ellie Carpenter. Um, her team, Olympic Lyonnais, we know they're the massive women's football team in France. They played a big uh, local match against Paris, uh, who'd been on a big uh, a big roll. Uh, they got the win. And just have a listen to this. This is Ellie leading the celebrations in French in the change rooms after the game. Check this out. That is, uh, for those people that are listening, the individual voice you hear there is actually Ali Carpenter leading the war cry or the, the, the club's uh, chant in French after the game. And what you can't see, because it's obviously an audio recording, is the rest of the players, absolutely all the French girls, completely losing it because um, they obviously recognise the funny side of Ali's accent. Not quite... The French is there, but the accent's not quite there, Rob. I think, Edge, I'm going to ask you to post this on our socials because I suspect that this one translated better to vision than it did to sound. It did. So you get it out there. You could hear Ellie's high-pitched voice. She was leading the the chorus of the song, and um, it's it's actually pretty funny because the the French teammates thought it was pretty hilarious. So well done to Ellie. It's obviously a big game. Um, Derek, um, it's been a big week for Arsenal. Um, Obviously, we spoke off the top of the show about the impact of the... VAR decision, and Rob's going to talk about that in stoppage time. But um, what have you got for us that you, you can what, – what sort of little morsel of tidbit of fun you can share with us about Arsenal's women's team winning in the last minute against Manchester City? 
Oh right, I mean, I, th I think I mentioned. Scored a goal. He, oh, she certainly, well, she certainly did. And um, Arsenal are now repairing their season as well because they had a dreadful start. If you recall, we were talking about their defeat to Paris FC, which meant they couldn't play Champions League football. Lost the opening fixture at home to Liverpool, um, but they have they have slowly started rebuilding. Um, uh, this, this team uh, and, and their form. And I'm trying to remember, I'm pretty sure now Arsenal have a, a nickname, which is something like Ozzenal or something like that, because obviously there are the three, the three girls now that are playing at, playing at Arsenal. So, you know, it's a great, it's a great club for, for all the Matildas that are there, Edge. Yeah, it is. And uh, Steph Catley scored an absolute cracker in that game. And if you've got a chance, get online and check it out, Rob. Oh, absolutely. Well, okay. Well, this time next week, we're actually going to be talking about a genuine World Cup corner with the Socceroos v Bangladesh. And it, I just never ceases to amaze me how you two, in fact, three with Adam behind the glass there, can bring Arsenal even into a World Cup corner. It almost well, feels like one of I'm, Australia's World Cup heroes in Steph Catley, yeah. buddy. Mate, was playing the match. Give us a break. Yeah, and there's not, not that there's not Matildas and soccer is playing for just about every other club around the world for that. Well, matter, there's but, a big game. Hey, well done. Yeah. Okay, I, I just I take my. What about off Jackson Irvine? What about uh, exactly? Well, you're going to talk continues. about that. You're going to talk about that in stoppage time, Michael. I'm going to say farewell to you until the middle of the week when you can bring up all these topics again. Thank you, Roberto. Um, good job steering the ship, and Adam and Derek and. Yeah, a lot of fun tonight. Taya was a lot of fun talking yeah. about A-League. It's back, isn't it, Rob? A-League is it's, yeah. it's starting to crank. Now, I think the boys, we all got to get out to another game soon and uh, have a big feed afterwards, Derek. Yeah, absolutely. That um, Melbourne City game feels like a long time ago now, mm. doesn't it? I know we were in various corners of the ground for the, the World Cup. I feel like at one point, I think there was a box-to-box -box person in every stand at one of the games, yes. so... Uh, yeah, let's um, let's make well, sure we get to a game soon. Back in a couple of weeks, let's do that. We'll all get all out right. to uh, a local A League men and women's game. Okay, we'll do that. Tony, we'll do that. let's go and check out that new stand. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you you sort that out. I'll I'll sort out the restaurant at Tarnit. There's some good feeds over there in in the western suburbs of Melbourne. It's the that's restaurants for sure. in Tarnit. Oh, absolutely, there are. Uh, Adam Maloney uh, producing our show, doing an excellent job, as he always does. Now, if you have a moment, please leave us a review wherever well, you listen to your favourite shows, Michael, as you interrupt again. And make sure to subscribe to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow. I'm never going to get used to saying X. I'm, I'm almost feeling like I'm going to protest and start calling it a Twitter Can again. Change the name back to Twitter, please. Oh, it's yeah. just a joke. Anyway, like we'll, we'll come, come back next week. We might have gone back to Twitter. Uh, like us on Facebook if you can and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.